Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, The Tiger Woman. But first, your true crime headlines. The Nevada State Board of Pardons voted last week to offer pardons to people convicted of possession of marijuana. In a unanimous vote, the Board of Pardons commissioners voted to offer unconditional pardons to anyone convicted in the past two decades of possession of an ounce or less of marijuana. Nevada decriminalized possession of that amount in 2017, when recreational pot sales became legal in the state. Governor Steve Sisolak, who is also a member of the Pardons Commission and who himself submitted the rule change, applauded the decision, calling it, quote, an historic day for those who were convicted of what has long been considered a trivial crime. Nevada is one of 11 states to legalize recreational use of marijuana. Governors in some of those other states have made similar moves to issue pardons for marijuana convictions. In Pennsylvania, an execution date has been set for Leeton Thomas, who was sentenced to death for the 2015 murders of a woman and her 16-year-old daughter. Thomas cut a window screen and broke into the Lancaster County home of Lisa Sheets, then attacked Lisa and her two daughters, viciously stabbing all three women. Lisa and her 16-year-old daughter were killed, and Lisa's 15-year-old daughter was seriously injured. Investigators believe that Thomas set out to kill the women to prevent them testifying as witnesses in a sexual abuse case pending against him. While Thomas's execution date has been set for July 28, 2020, it is unlikely that the state will actually put him to death. Governor Tim Wolf declared a moratorium on the death penalty in 2015, and Pennsylvania has not executed an inmate since 1999. Two men were arrested in Oregon and will face capital murder charges for the killing of seven people in Alabama in early June. 20-year-old John Michael Legg and 23-year-old Frederick Allen Rogers were arrested during a traffic stop in Marion County, Oregon. Both will be extradited to Alabama to face charges for the June 4th murders of seven people in a home in Morgan County, Alabama. Morgan County Sheriff Ron Puckett says both suspects knew everyone in the house where the mass murder happened. Puckett says the suspects, and at least three of the victims, were part of a local club called Seven Deadly Sins, and that both suspects have no prior criminal record. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, The Tiger Woman. But first, a quick break. If there's one thing that everyone in the world can agree on, it's that the past few months have turned our lives upside down. Some have been grieving the loss of a loved one, many have found themselves unemployed, and all are living through a global pandemic and political upheaval. We know that it can be difficult to cope. So if you've been struggling, and thinking about talking to someone. It's time to get BetterHelp. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. BetterHelp is professional counseling 
done securely online. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist so that you can start communicating in under 24 hours. The service is available for clients worldwide, and there's a broad range of expertise available. Just log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor, and you'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions and text with your counselor so that you don't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free for you to change your counselor if you need to. Plus, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. And if, like so many of us, you're a little short on cash right now, financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read the testimonials for yourself, posted daily. Like this one, from a user who's been counseling for two weeks with Lauren Gordon. I have been in and out of counseling slash therapy for the last 14 years. BetterHelp offers a new way to take control of my mental health, and Lauren has played a critical role in my mental health journey thus far. I love that she offers multiple options for sessions, video, phone, live chat, as well as messaging throughout the day. Her head-on approach in identifying and understanding my struggles makes sessions efficient, and her ability to isolate core issues allows for targeted care. I'm so grateful for what she has done for me already. Whether you're new to counseling or just looking for options, visit betterhelp.com slash murder minute. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P and join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Murder Minute listeners get 10% off their first month when they visit betterhelp.com slash murder minute. Don't wait. Start getting better help at betterhelp.com slash murder minute. Welcome back to Murder Minute. In the early 1920s, Los Angeles was an oil town, and Armour Phillips was beginning a new career as an oil stock salesman. With his charm, good looks, a little success, and a lot of credit, Armour was able to buy expensive suits and a big house for his 23-year-old wife, Clara Phillips, a former chorus girl whom he had married when she was just a teenager. By 1922, Armour had fallen into debt, and rumor had it into the arms of another, younger woman. A beautiful young bank clerk, 19-year-old widow Alberta Meadows. When Clara heard rumors of the affair and who it was her husband had been seeing, she called her friend, Peggy Caffey, for support. Clara and Peggy decided to go to Long Beach and drown their sorrows at a speakeasy that Peggy knew. But before they went, Clara, 
needed to run an errand. The two friends stopped by a dime store, where Clara bought a claw hammer. On the evening of July 12, 1922, as they drank in a friend's apartment in Long Beach, Clara told Peggy everything she had heard about her husband's affair, how heartbroken she was at his betrayal, and that she knew where they might find his mistress, Alberta Meadows, to have a talk. Clara had a plan. Clara and Peggy waited outside the bank at 9th and Main for Alberta Meadows to finish her work shift. When Alberta saw them, she recognized Clara. After some chit-chat, Clara asked Alberta if she wouldn't mind giving her and Peggy a lift to Clara's sister's house in Montecito Heights. Alberta agreed. At the end of Montecito Drive, which at that time was a winding dirt road, Clara confronted Alberta about the affair. Alberta stopped the car. She denied having an affair with armor. Clara punched her and pulled out the hammer. Alberta ran down the hill, but fell when the heel of her shoe broke. Clara raised the hammer and brought it down on Alberta Meadows' face, again and again and again. Then she mutilated her with the claw end of the hammer. When Clara finished her work, she turned to Peggy, who was crying and shaking in horror. Don't you dare tell your husband, Clara warned. Remember, you're in this as much as I am. Clara dropped Peggy off at her house, then calmly drove home to her husband in his mistress's car. Still covered in Alberta's blood, she threw her arms around her husband and said, Darling, I have killed the one you love most in this world. Now, I'm going to cook you the best supper you ever had. After dinner, Armour asked Clara what she was going to do. Nothing, she replied. I'm going to bed now and to headquarters in the morning. But Armour insisted that she flee. The next morning, with her husband following in his car, they drove Alberta's car to Pomona, abandoned it, and returned to Los Angeles, where Armour dropped Clara in a downtown hotel. Armour then spent the rest of the night pulling money together to send her to Mexico. In the morning, Clara boarded a train bound for El Paso. It was only after she left that Armour realized what he had done. He went to the police to confess that his wife had killed Alberta Meadows and that he had just helped her escape. When police recovered the mutilated body 
of Alberta Meadows. One detective remarked that it looked as if she had been mauled by a tiger. The description stuck. The newspapers dubbed Clara Phillips the Tiger Woman, and the story captivated all of Los Angeles. LAPD quickly wired an alert to authorities in Arizona and Texas, and Clara was soon captured on a train in Tucson and taken back to Los Angeles to stand trial. When Clara stepped off the train, she was welcomed like a starlet. The Tiger Woman had quickly become something of a heroine, a media sensation, and Clara was all too willing to play the part. She cheerfully waved to her fans, posed for photographers, and flirted with the reporters. One charmed local reporter wrote, quote, In the face of many extreme discomforts, she has taken everything cheerfully. She is tolerant. She has never yet uttered a single complaint, has never asked for anything, taking all things as they come without a whimper. Clara arrived to the county jail and was greeted by more cheering fans. Flowers, candy, and fan mail were all delivered to her cell, where she sat and read the many newspaper stories about herself. All the while, her husband Armour Phillips went further into debt, borrowing money to pay for Clara's legal team. To drum up more publicity and public sympathy for herself before the trial, Clara set up a press conference in which she and her husband Armour would see each other again for the first time since he put her on the train to Mexico. Clara put on a new dress and told reporters just how much she still loved her husband and demurely dodged any questions about the murder. Then, right on cue, Armour arrived, wearing a suit and carrying a box of candy. According to one newspaper, Clara, quote, threw her arms around her husband. She looked up into her husband's eyes and then buried her fluffy brown head of hair on his shoulder. She cuddled to him as a dove would to its mate, and when he kissed her and whispered in her ear, she played with the lapel of his coat. The publicity stunt worked. It was front-page news. But the Tiger Woman's best performance was still to come. Every day at trial, Clara sauntered into court like a leading lady stepping out on stage in front of her audience. And in a way, she was. The courtroom was packed with her fans, including members of the press. There really is some class to Clara, a woman from a local paper wrote. If she isn't a gentlewoman born, she is certainly what Eleanor Glynn would have called one of nature's ladies. Clara's friend Peggy, who bore witness to the murder of Alberta Meadows that night, took the stand. The Riverside Daily Press was in the courtroom when she gave her testimony on October 27, 1922. 
Mrs. Caffey, avoiding the steady gaze of Mrs. Phillips, told of going shopping with the defendant. And did Mrs. Phillips buy anything? She was asked. Yes, said Mrs. Caffey. She bought that hammer. At the words, Mrs. Phillips suddenly leaned forward and in a clear, steady voice that could be heard throughout the court, shouted to the witness, Peggy, tell the truth. Tell them you bought that hammer. Mrs. Caffey, silent for a moment, resumed in a husky voice. Mrs. Phillips bought the hammer, she repeated. She was looking for a large hammer with a claw in it. I said the one she was looking at was big enough to take out tacks and pails. There was absolute stillness in the courtroom as the prosecutor produced a large hammer and handed it to the witness. Mrs. Caffey examined the hammer and in response to a question said that it was similar to the one that Mrs. Phillips bought. The witness was already becoming visibly disturbed under the strain of the testimony, and her answers were coming with difficulty, showing confusion over nearly every question. Mrs. Caffey continued answering questions in short statements to recount how she and Mrs. Phillips met Mrs. Meadows at the parking station and asked her to take them to Mrs. Phillips' sister's home. In fragmentary sentences, blurted out under the rapid-fire questioning of Deputy Attorney Frick, Mrs. Caffey gave a picture of the murder that made a courtroom jammed with women nearly sick. It was the iron end. Mrs. Meadows ran down the hill screaming, I ran up the hill hollering for help. Mrs. Meadows was stunned with the second blow. She put her hand on her head. Mrs. Caffey then said that she could not remember all the incidents after that. I remember I ran back down the hill. I couldn't get out of the fight. I tried to brace myself against the wall. I saw the hammer go up and down and I leaned against the wall. I tried to get to the bottom of the hill, but I could go no further. My knees were so weak. Mrs. Caffey's breath was coming in short gasps as she told the story, but she did not weep or break down. She said the next thing she knew, she saw Mrs. Phillips driving down the hill in Mrs. Meadows' coupe and that Clara stopped near her and commanded her to get in. Her face was covered with blood. Her hands were covered with blood. Her clothes were covered with blood, were the words with which she described Mrs. Meadows. At this point in the story, the court adjourned for noon recess, and most of the spectators sat in their seats, some of them, appearing as deeply affected as the principals. Clara's husband, Armour, was among those listening in the courtroom, but received no quarter from the press, who remained firmly on Team Tiger Woman.
As he sat in court yesterday, hearing Peggy Caffey's sordid testimony, one paper wrote, It didn't seem possible that any woman as bright as Clara could have considered him worth all that agony. Both Armour Phillips and Peggy Caffey testified that Clara had murdered Alberta Meadows. But when Clara finally took the stand, she claimed that Peggy did it. No one believed the tiger woman. The jury found her guilty, but Clara managed to escape the death penalty. The three women jurors wanted to see her hang, but compromised on second-degree murder, said the jury foreman. Clara's charming smile had saved her neck. The judge sentenced her to ten years to life in prison, and she was sent to San Quentin. As she walked out of the courtroom, an admirer whispered to her that he would set her free. Her lawyer laughed. On December 4, 1922, the Tiger Woman escaped from San Quentin Prison. A hacksaw had been smuggled into her cell, the bars on her window were cut, and Clara climbed out, slid down a vent pipe, and ran to the road where her admirer was waiting in his car. A conflicting account insists, however, that Clara actually bribed a sheriff's deputy with either cash or favors to unlock her cell door and look the other way while she ran. In neither case, whatever happened, the tiger woman had vanished. She briefly hid out in Pomona. Then, on January 4th, Clara disguised herself and began her escape, first to New Orleans and then to Mexico. By the time detectives realized where she was and contacted the Mexican authorities, Clara was already long gone. The tiger woman had fled to Honduras, and extraditing her would not be easy. Honduras was in the middle of a revolution, and despite the American ambassador's efforts, the Honduran government did not see this tiger woman as a priority. In the end, it took four months and one ruthless Los Angeles Examiner reporter named Morris Levine to track Clara down. He then persuaded her to return by appealing to her vanity. An appeal on her conviction was still pending, he reminded her. If she was innocent, he said, she should prove it. The public would love her even more. Was she really the Tiger Woman, he asked, or just another failed dancer? Clara agreed to return to the United States, where she was greeted by her husband, Armour, and a crowd of adoring fans, cheering, Tiger Woman, Tiger Woman, and immediately returned to San Quentin. Her lawyer had died of a heart attack. There was no appeal. During Clara Phillips' 12 years in prison, she was described as a model prisoner. 
she reportedly found religion, learned to play saxophone, organized a seven-piece orchestra, wrote a play, trained as a dental technician, and at one point attempted suicide by slashing her wrists. I don't know whether I killed Alberta Meadows or not, Clara Phillips said in a 1931 interview. But if I did, I did it for mother love. I fought with Alberta on the top of Montecito Drive to protect the only love I have ever known. I did what any mother in the world would do if she saw her baby being taken from her. Armour L. Phillips is my baby. He has been my only baby. He is my very life. And when I realized he was being taken from me, I fought, 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 so that I might always have him. In 1935, when Clara Phillips was released on parole at age 37, hundreds gathered at the prison and again shouted the familiar, Tiger Woman! Tiger Woman! Today's parole, however, has not come without vigorous protests, reported the San Bernardino County Sun. District Attorney Fitz of Los Angeles referred to Clara's release as, quote, an act calculated to cause people to lose faith in law. Los Angeles Club women have been active in their protests, though it must be admitted their chorus has not been unanimous, some rising to defend Clara as a defender of her home and declare that armor should have been punished too. This time, when Clara walked out in front of the cameras, her husband Armour was not there to greet her. As she left, Clara told a reporter, Please, let me be forgotten. Clara lived in San Diego with her mother and her sister for the next few years. In 1938, she and Armour divorced. Clara changed her name, moved to Texas, and the Tiger Woman once again vanished, this time for good. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.